Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This guest on Straight Out of Combat today um, is a mover and a shaker in, in every sense of the word. He has a great insight into storytelling, into you know how people can benefit from that platform. But he he's been on the go ever since he got out. He makes connections like nobody before. I'm dubbing him the veteran Highlander. Many people know him as VP. His name is James Van Pruen, and he's got a story to tell, and I'm glad you're here listening with us today. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset, for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is an Air Force veteran who I met at the Military Influencer Conference two years ago in Dallas. He is not your typical veteran. This guy works the peripheral and he's also out front. He is like a major, major, major connector, networker, influencer. You know, you can call him whatever you want to call him. I call him VP or James, but most people know him as James Van Pruen. And he he's a guy that's out to do a lot of things, not only in the podcast space, but in the veteran space in general. And let me tell you a little bit about him before we get started. You know, when he graduated from high school and joined the Air Force, James thought he was only going to do a four-year stint and and get on with his life. But what ended up happening was he ended up serving our country for 20 years. And over those 20 years, he provided IT support around the globe, Afghanistan, Kuwait, South America, Africa. You know, everybody knows that the United States Air Force rules the skies. And James was part of that. When he left the Air Force, he learned about the power of using a podcast to amplify a message. But what he wanted to do was take these messages to help out the veteran community. And he's doing that with a lot of projects that he's working on. I just found out now he's like a he's a city leader for Bunker Labs. He's got a mil- the military podcast uh, platform. There's a lot of cool things that James is doing. He thinks it is extremely valuable to be back in the veteran community on mission because he can help them, but he can also help the active duty members and those transitioning families. He has experience in both producing and hosting multiple podcasts, and he believes in the power of good for positive change. I, you know, we've been a friend now for a couple of years. Uh, VP has turned me on to so many cool and interesting people. This veteran is a veteran on the move. It's not cliche. He's always doing something. His name pops up. Whatever James is doing, it's good. And I'm just glad to have him here. Humble to have him on the show. And 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 I look forward to the future with James. So welcome to the show, VP. Finally, Thank man. You. you know, finally. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, John. Uh all I know is that's I don't know if I've ever heard such an intro of myself. It's kind of weird to hear. But I, I got to say, I don't know if you're interested to, to kind of go on the road. Like I could, I could use you to go introduce me places. No, I'm just kidding. Thank no, you no, so no, much, man. I, Good to be on the show. I, I would do it, man. You know me. So, well, thank you for being here and, and taking the time. And he's not joking. We've been trying to do this now for a little over a year. In fact, James has sent me people to be on the show. 
couple times we've been scheduled to do it, but we haven't been able to make it happen. So it's happening now. This is the first time VP's been on Straight Out of Combat Radio, and we were really anxious to hear his story. Um, yeah, really excited to to give it, John. Um, so it's it's interesting how much your life can change. You know, we make a lot of decisions. The more older you get, the more decisions you've made in your lifetime. And the decision to go in the military forever, of course, changed my life. I'm in San Francisco. I'm part of a veteran business nonprofit called Bunker Labs, as you talked about. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't have probably been in Florida much like I was. So it definitely changed my life and, and travel um, is a big part of what I enjoy. So, Well, let's talk about that. Tell us about your household growing up and, you know, the kind of things that you did, where that took place, your mentors and and how you even made it to the Air Force. Tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Absolutely. Uh, so it's interesting when you think about different movies that are done and, and they talk about whether they're, you know, kind of a good recruiting tool and those kind of things. Um. I don't remember when I first saw the movie, but Top Gun when I was growing up was was one of those movies that I'm sure a lot of people enjoyed. And it was one of, I would say at that point, one of my favorite movies. And none of the military component of it was what really interested me. You know, it was more, you could see the camaraderie, you know, they were playing volleyball. Not, I wasn't really much of a volleyball person, but, um, you know, the, the sports, the you know, the, the motorcycle, the girl, you know, all of it, right. The, 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 the sexiness part of it. I get it, man. I, I like, get I, it. I, yeah. I was like, I could, do, I, I could do that for four years, but so I grew up, um, I love sports since early age. I played baseball, basketball were, were my main two sports. Um, I wasn't much into running, which is ironic kind of later. Cause I do, uh, air force went from a run test, a bike test to, I'm sorry, a bike test to a run. And that's kind of when I found out I was a good runner. But so growing up, I kind of, I had th- uh, one older brother, two younger brothers. Um, my younger brother is only a couple years apart. So we did a lot of stuff together. Um, I love to, at the, at that time growing up, I was better than my younger brother. So I would talk him into playing basketball, you know, like around the world or those kind of games so I could beat him. And it didn't matter if I <laughs> beat him 10 times. I loved it. But, um, where was so, that you grew so, up? What city was that in? So I grew up in, uh, right outside of Traverse city, Michigan. My grandparents had a hotel. Uh, my grandfather's electrician started at age, I think 40. And, um, I didn't really talk much about the military stuff growing up. I never really was interested in being a soldier per se. I was always one of those guys that, you know, I saw the, um, near where we were at it was like kind of national guard. So I'd see the military trucks. So I was always pro military, but I never thought of, Hey, I want to go be a soldier someday and never played army or any of those kind of things growing up. It was more, I was more idolizing of sports. Like I wanted to be a baseball player since as long as I could remember, I wanted to be a pitcher, got sidetracked, didn't really put in the work to, to do that. Got, I liked outdoor stuff. My dad, my dad was a, a hunter and fisher. So I did a lot of that with him growing up. So a lot of times during the seasons where I grew up, we didn't play baseball year round. So it was like really seasonal. And uh, definitely didn't put in the work to be a professional baseball player because it's it's really kind of not very many people are able to do it anyway. So I didn't put in the work. But um, my grandfather, I started working with my grandfather since I was 10. And that was what I was going to do. Like I never enjoyed school. And then now at this age, I look back, I was only really interested in certain subjects. And so the ones I didn't, I, I never really was able to concentrate on stuff I didn't care about. It was very difficult. And I was in my mind is like, okay, like, can this class get over fast enough? Like when I was doing sciences, I, I did not like science. I'm like, 
come, I've got to do so much science. Like I don't like this and I can't wait for it to be over. So I struggled in those kind of classes. Um, my learning style definitely didn't fit in with teachers. I would kind of argue, it was almost argumentative, but it was kind of how I was learning. And then when I understood, I was like, Oh, okay, that's, that's, Oh, that makes sense. But teachers in, in those days, they didn't, they didn't uh, respond well to that. So I spent a lot of my high school years in the, in the, in this uh, hallway that would kick me out of class a lot of times. <laughs> Not in detention, <laughs> just in the hallway. So, you know, that's pretty cool. It's, it's yeah, cold it's in Traverse out. City. You know, you, you don't want to be out in the hallway. It's, that's like yeah, near the Arctic don't. Circle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, might as well be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I didn't you. know any different. So, yeah, it, it, you know, we used to wear, as soon as it got semi-warm, maybe 40, 50 degrees, we wore, sh- wear shorts. And then now I look back on that and I'm like, no way. I kind of grew away from ever want to live where it's cold but um yeah so so basically i worked with my grandfather since i was 10 and to be an electrician you really didn't need college so i never planned on going to college whatsoever didn't even really plan on going to the military my older brother went in so my he was about five and a half years older than me so when he graduated he went to college for like a semester tried that he was like a manager at some restaurants didn't do a whole lot of stuff really that was long-term stuff and so I don't remember why he decided to go in the Air Force, but then he had left home and kind of came back right around that period when he was getting ready to go in the Air Force. So the recruiter was there, and people don't maybe to believe it, but the Air Force recruiter, I didn't feel ever talk to me like, hey, do you think do you want to go? He never said a word about trying to get me to go. But I'm sure it's a little bit of rec- – I mean, he was there with our family, but um, he took me to basketball practice, and we talked a little bit. But it wasn't about, hey, you ever think about the Air Force? But because of Top Gun and because of, you know, watching, okay, now this Air Force thing is introduced to me. I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go in any branch, it would be the Air Force or the Navy. And at that time, I thought they were pretty much the same. And I kind of found out after when I went in and did some joint service that they're nowhere near. And so I I really fit in the Air Force very well because uh, it's a kind of a younger branch. We don't have a whole lot of tradition. So uh, I I definitely, I don't think I could have fit in in the other branches where they have hundreds of years of we've done it this way all these years. So the Air Force is kind of almost, I always said, like run like a corporation. And um, it's, I would also joke, as, as civilians as you could get and still be in the military. That's maybe minus Coast Guard. I can't really speak to the Coast Guard because I don't know much about that. Well, so you had so you had your grandfather as one of your mentors. Was there anybody else or did you have, besides your older brother did the Air Force, was there anybody else in your family lineage that did the military? Not, I didn't really talk a lot about that growing up. Um, my grandfather, I guess, had tried to go in and medically couldn't go in. His brother, I found out, actually was in World War II, was a CB over um, in Japan during World War II in that area. Um, so that was kind of interesting, but I didn't really find a lot of that out until I was years. Like Matter of fact, I think that was after my grandfather passed away. I spent a lot more time with his brother. There was uh, where he was from in Franklin, North Carolina. There was like this um, veteran memorial and he had a brick that had his name on. So it was kind of cool. He showed me that. So, but um, my cousin on my dad's side had gone into the Air Force for like four years. He did dental, uh, something in dental and did a four year stint and and got out. But I didn't really talk to him a whole lot. But actually when I was getting ready to go in, um, one of my instructors, I was in a vocational school my last two years of high school um, for basically electrical, um, learning different things with, with more with house wire or with wiring and, um, some commercial electrician stuff or electrical. One of my instructors there was prior Navy. And so he's like, well, the Navy's got a, the better schools for electronics. You should look at the Navy. And my older brother's like, before you go either way, at least talk to my brother-in-law, he's in the Navy. 
And I talked to him and he's like, go Air Force. So I was like, that was one th- thing. And then my recruiter's like, this is where he was kind of spinning, but he was like, well, do you want to have that nice motorcycle or, or sports car and be able to drive it all the time? Or do you want it to just sit? Well, you're you know, out at sea. Months <laughs> on end at sea. Yeah. And so it was those two things. I was like, all right, I'll go Air Force. And that was the best. Okay. So you're telling me, let me get this straight, man. So you're telling me Top Gun made you do it. Pretty much because that was all I had to go off of. And, it, and I'm you know, knowing my mindset it because it wasn't I wasn't that close to my brother. I became a little closer because of the military because he had gone in a couple years before me. So when I got ready to go, he would tell me, hey, here's what to expect in basic training. Here's the, what you know, here's this and here's that. But so, it wasn't I wasn't like, oh, he's going. I should go. It was really OK. The first time I paid attention to it. And I'm like, just thought of those things in Top Gun. I was like that that there's something that that seems cool about that like i want to what's what's four years of that i could go hang out right it right. wasn't to go fight for my country it wasn't like i didn't i never had thought about that so it wasn't until i really got to basic training and and some of my career early on that really changed everything for me really buying in yeah tell me was it a shock was basic training a shock or tell tell us about the basic training where you went and and what that transition from civilian life high school life to, to the air force. I really, like I said, I knew a little, I did, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, my brother had told me a few things I knew it was going to be, and maybe other branches like this, but definitely the air force. It was like going to mostly be a head game. So it wasn't, you know, they were going to really mess with you on stuff or, you know, you don't, you wanted to blend in and not stand out. Um, but it was a lot of mental. And so I really wasn't as like worried, Oh, you know, will I be able to do it physically? So I really didn't know what to expect a little bit. I'd never really traveled a lot. I didn't go in. That was another thing that kind of caught my attention early on of, of talking to people at basic training is I was, I've seemed to be one of the few people that didn't go in for travel. I didn't care whatsoever about travel. So we'd gone to Florida a couple of times growing up and to can you know, Michigan's close to Canada. So I'd gone to Canada, um, Chicago a few times, but not in Phoenix. My brother had gotten married a year before I got out of high school in Phoenix. So we drove out to Phoenix then. And so I'd traveled a very little, but not enough to really say, hey, I want to go travel the world. Like I, I didn't care about traveling. I really liked where I was from, wanted to be an electrician just like my grandfather in Traverse City area. So a lot of the things I'd already been brought up, I, I was wanting to do those things and, and didn't really have this ex- explorative mindset of, hey, let me go see what else is out there. Let me go travel overseas. But so then I get the basic training. It was... That's kind of how it was. Like I know. Well, how what what impacted you? Know, you? Did, did you have like? Can you think of anything that impacted you the most in basic training? I would say the very end definitely impacted me. Of like, there was a recruiter. I'm sorry, recruiter. There was a a drill sergeant because I don't know how all the branches work, but like we had two people that ran. There was the main guy and another other person that helped him. So they would kind of augment each other. Like the one guy was almost always there early on in our time but toward the middle and end the other guy took over more and i think the other the, the other one was just a lower ranking guy but there was a third person and i don't know why he was with us because i can't remember that specific but he was an older guy he had been i believe even in vietnam but he said something that really i mean probably caught all our attention but he's like you will see combat in your career and i was just like in my mind i was like combat <laughs> I'm in the Air Force, man. Like, I didn't go in the Air Force for combat. You know, I really yeah. didn't know what I – like, in my mindset going in, I was like, I want to be an electrician, like, learn to be an electrician on a plane. So I wasn't thinking, like, hey, I want to go on the front lines and 
you know, be a Marine or our army, like my mindset, I didn't even know, you know, what the air force was, but I'm not thinking it's like any kind of combat whatsoever. Or I just hadn't thought of that. Um, which sounds bad to say, right. In hindsight. But so that is the first time I was like, it starts to, to kind of enter in your mind. And then at the end, when you do, we did the, the whole parade thing, you have the flag and stuff just started to feel like, wow, this is something, you know, really feeling something bigger than myself. Um, so, you know, the, but basic training was just your normal thing. Like I was, uh, we had this thing called a child runner and, and they made me the basically be the person that would go like at whatever point they'd be like, okay, I'd have to just haul ass and go to the, to the chow hall, basically say, hey, we're ready to go, which is just putting, open yourself up to get yelled at, to for get yelled at for something standing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, and then the one day I, I the, the, probably the funniest story for me and basic training was like, I'd gone. And so they called it the snake pits. They had this table of, of, of training instructors. And that's where you would kind of stand in line and come up there and be like, say your little spiel, you know, Airman Van Proyen reports, you know, flight, blah, 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 you know, ready to enter the child hall or something like that. And so the one, one person, I think it was like week four and he's like, go back and tell your TI that you don't know how to do facing movements until you know how to face do facing movements. You're not entering our child hall. So I was like, <laughs> I was like, Oh boy, this is not going to be fun. So I went back to the TI and he basically was like, now go back and tell him you know how to do it. So I went back, but just that whole mindset of like, Oh no, like, cause they kept telling you that they were going to watch you back at any point that, that you didn't do something right. And it was always the fear, right? Like, I don't want to do this longer than I already have to. But anyway, that was, that was basic training. So you got to, so you got the graduation and you're, it's finally dawning on you. You know, you heard the word combat, and then you see something about the stars and stripes and something about being in uniform with the with the guys that you've been through training with. It does kind of evoke something deeper inside. And and I'm glad you mentioned that, James, because people that haven't been there by no means means that we're better than anybody. But when it comes to that feeling, you know, I'm glad you hit that because of all these interviews, nobody's ever talked about that in particular. And it does do something for you. You know, it is a sense of accomplishment to get through basic training. And even though they're they're yelling at you and you might not get all the sleep you would get back home, there's a certain pride that comes with it with a graduation in any branch, I'm sure. So so thank you for pointing that out. So okay, so you're you're out. Well, you're doing, and, and, and interestingly enough, John, I mean, I would say now that I look back and I talk to people, like I, I always mention I, I say I fell into the military because I feel like it was nothing's by accident, but like, I didn't have all these, like, you know, all these people that I was looking at had done it before. Like I had no, no really, I was following someone else. It was just like, okay, I'm going to go do that and then go back and do something else all along. That's what I was thinking. Like, no way was I thinking, Hey, I want to do a whole career or even knew what that meant or wanted to know what that meant. But now that I look back and all the things I'm involved with now can be traced back and started then, but we'll get into, um, Really, when I forgot to my first duty station, that set up my career. And, of course, this is all pre-9-11, nine, nine, so everything changed. I was in almost six years before 9-11. But my first duty station and the type of unit I got sent to really shaped my career for the better. Where was and that really, at? Where were, uh, Hill Air Force Base. So I got sent to Hill Air, Hill Air Force Base in Ogden, Utah, which, interestingly enough, I think I got my assignment either the end – I'm trying to remember when they gave it to us, but I think the end of basic training or – yeah, or maybe beginning of text. Yeah, it was basic training, I'm pretty sure. But um, when they said Utah, I was like, I don't even know where that is. <laughs> like, is that in the U.S.? I almost was joking. I was like, is that in the U.S.? I was like, <laughs> Ogden, Utah, where is that? 
So, but it was a air control squadron. So it was a tactical unit. So our whole type of a unit, our role was have all these uh, pieces of or like uh, tactical equipment that uh, on the comm side where we could tear it all down, travel somewhere else, set it up in the middle of nowhere and operate and augment basically uh, AWACS, which is that plane that flies and, and monitors and talks to pilots and has people on the ground, like everybody talking to each other to guide aircraft. And so our unit could basically do that on the ground. So we had operator, we had these vans, the operators would go inside and they had this, the radar feed coming in and they would have a scope. They'd be talking with uh, kind of headphones like you've got on right now. They would talk on headsets to pilots. And so I was on, you know, kind of the um, IT piece of that or, you know, we had SATCOM guys, we had radio guys, we had, you know, of course this was 95. So a lot of what we have now has evolved a lot since then, but in those early days, but our whole thing was to set up and, and deploy out, you know, and, and so I started deploying, uh, we, we got, I, I got there in 1995, about six months or so after I got there, we had a commander's call and they basically were like, okay, our unit is going to be assigned to do, cause there was all multiple air control squadrons and then they were going to do rotations in Kuwait to monitor at the time, the no fly zone for, um, Saddam Hussein be like, whatever those parallels were, you know, the, I forget the exact parallel, but there was like two uh, area where they couldn't fly in or out of, uh, or beyond those areas. And that was our role to go to Kuwait and basically enforce that. Well, you know, you know, you mentioned nine 11, obviously the world changed then and you had been serving in the, in the air force for six years. What was, uh, you know, obviously the no-fly zone was a combat zone, but what, what, what was your first major deployment? Well, that was, I mean, that, uh, so Kuwait in, in 1996. So, so I went to that commander's call, and then we went. We, I was pretty, in, at the time, in a pretty small work center. There was about six of us. And, you know, so then you know, they said, hey, we're going to start doing these rotations. And then we went back to our work center, and I'm just like, you know, they're kind of like, who wants to go? And I'm like, I want to go. So that's what's interesting is, like, even though – I didn't know what I was getting into early on in the military. That was really how my mindset was always. It's like, I'll do it. But I was, I mean, I didn't know any better, right? 19 years old. I'm like, let's do it. Like, that's why, you know, I'm, I didn't, I didn't even know at that time really th- enough to know there was units that didn't deploy. Like my older brother was in and he was a computer programmer. So he did 20 years and never went anywhere because of his job. So I remember a lot of time early on of, you know, we had chem, chem gear that we would train with because our area responsibility as a unit also was Korea. So if anything ever happened in Korea, we would have packed our stuff and that was our first area responsibility. You know, and if and, and when I guess to this day, right, with Korea kind of being on again, off again thing, that was our bigger role was like, that's where we go. So we trained with chem gear and, and did operational inspections, you know, ORIs and, and did one in 99 in Kuwait. So I did a lot of different rotations of Kuwait, but I remember sending some pictures to my brother and he's like, didn't even, he's like, well, what's that stuff you guys are wearing? I'm just like, what are you talking about? You don't, you don't wear this? Yeah. Like I didn't even know. Right. I just thought everybody did, but that's, so I did Kuwait the first time in 96 and Kobar towers happened. So we got there and I don't know if you remember I that happening yeah, yeah. in Saudi Arabia, but we had been there about two or I'm sorry, uh, maybe six weeks before that. So we used to be able to, like when we weren't working, um, we had rental cars and we could take, get it at the time. We didn't have phones, which is interesting, but we had these little beepers. So we could check out a beeper, tell them, you know, come with a group of people and go down to Kuwait city and, you know, go to restaurants or go wherever we want to do and explore and, and do those fun things. But as soon as Cobar towers happened, then that, that ended and we weren't able to go off anymore and kind of got restricted. But yeah, now, uh, yeah, I remember that. And it definitely changed things on the ground and, and in the air. I'm sure there, you know, 
And I actually, another that's really relevant for my career as well is like that first year I was working, they put me and this other guy on rotations at the airport. So they had a couple people like kind of liaisons for, um, at the Kuwait International Airport with the Kuwait military officers. So I remember 19 years old sitting there talking to these officers about their experiences when uh, Saddam Hussein had invaded them. So it was like, well, a year before that, right? And like I barely even knew I was going to be in the military. So a year and a half to being now in Kuwait, you know, where I was in high school playing basketball and and in basketball practice when that that whole invasion stuff started, and then now to be full circle, kind of to on the ground, talking to people and seeing evidence of you know the U.S. Uh, bombs on the their bunkers where their uh, their aircraft were, seeing on the walls where they had lined people up and shot them, and the blood still on the walls and it was really, that's, that's, those are the kind of things that made it real. It's like, okay, this is, you know, and even Cobar Towers, right? Like there was, uh, we were part of the 388th wing, uh, fighter wing in Utah at Hill Air Force Base. Some of the people I knew were actually at uh, Saudi Arabia when that Cobar Towers thing happened. So that, you know, even though it didn't happen where we were, like, then I started looking like, wow, like we're pretty close to the perimeter here. Like that, that kind of thing could happen here. You know, and it starts get your mindset. It's like, okay, this is this is real. And those kind of experiences built on itself, right? Now looking looking back and looking, you know, at everything I did after that. So, so what changed after nine eleven? What you know, what what did, what did the missions become like after that? So what happened? Even in my time in the military, and I can't speak for every branch, but definitely Air Force. The Air Force had started doing this a little bit anyway of getting some civilian job or civilian people or government employees to take the place of what we call blue suitors or green suitors, right? The military people for us. So we, that could free us up to go do the deployment. So we would go do the deployments and then have people that were constantly not changing every six months or a year back in the, uh, you know, at the different military bases. And so we used to have a lot more people when I first got in, I remember a lot more manning. And so it felt like from 1995 to 2015, when I got out, we just had a lot less people, more, less people, less people. But technology allowed us to do more things with less people as well. So it was one of those interesting things is like the more you did with less, the more they asked you to do more with less. So it was always kind of a frustrating thing. But that's what happened after September 11th is like now all of a sudden the workload just increased. It's like, OK, now we have more deployments, longer deployments. Uh, the Air Force, the, everything changed for the Air Force from a PT, from a from a, a physical um, standard requirement part because I'll be honest, like before that, you could really almost know who had what rank based on how big of a belly they had. And, you know, we used to kind of joke about that, but that changed. Like now, I mean, it's not that there's none of that, but not near as what there was prior to 9 11. But after September 11th, then we did more joint service operations. We did more, Air Force did more stuff in with the Army and, you know, on their missions and taskings. And so all of a sudden they're like, okay, they're the physical fitness of the the air forces isn't cutting it. So they went from phased out the bike test into a run, and that's kind of that part of my story where I found out really quickly as a good runner, and I didn't necessarily like it, but I just ran fast to get it over with. And the the good runners would come ask me like, what's your time on? And they would rattle off all these uh, running terms. I'm just like, I don't even know what that means. I just run fast to get it over with. I get it. So well, let me ask you this: when you were on these deployments post nine eleven. You know, did you did did the did you know what what we were fighting for? Did you understand? Did, did everybody get that? Well, actually, interestingly enough, I was in Kuwait 
Uh, so I did five different times in Kuwait, a lot at a place called Ali Al Salim. And I don't know if, if they renamed it to something else after the, they built it up even more. But we were when we first started going there, there was almost nothing there. And then they had built it up to, to a lot more. So um, when I was there, that's when September 11th happened. So I was actually deployed during it. So I think I can't speak for other people, but for me, the feeling is, okay, like, let's go. Like, even though I'm Air Force at the time and not even my mission to do that, I'm like, give me, I mean, we got guns. I'm like, I want to fight. Let's go do it. Like, that was the, you know, I'll never forget, right? Like, it, it felt like a dream or like, like, you know, you're, you're looking and it's almost, it's like, doesn't seem real. You're watching on TV. It's a beautiful sunny day in New York. And then my mindset was like, well, of course we had seen the Intel before, right? So I wasn't surprised that something like that happened because we had seen Intel. And so I was more surprised that it had taken that long for something like that to happen, I guess, which sounds bad, but we saw, I'd read, you know, every day, all these different threat assessments and things that had, you know, been tried and, and those kind of things. So, so we already had that kind of insight on the IT side with, with, cause I had a top secret clearance. And so, um, that was kind of a lot of our world is to know those threats and to understand those things from a strategy standpoint. My thought was like, okay, let's, I mean, it just changed. It made it more, okay, like we're the military. We're the ones that's supposed to respond to that. And so, I mean, obviously I didn't know it was going to be that. I mean, we're still, you know, technically at war and, in Afghanistan. So I would have never thought that it would be that many years, you know, ongoing. What kept you focused that time? You know, what kept you focused in those deployments? Um, well, I think in the military, it's or like for me, it's always about your unit. It's about the guys you're with. It's about doing as best you can and just getting the mission done. So, you know, it's, everyone was different. Um, I went to Iraq in 20, 2008. I went to Afghanistan in 2011 in Afghanistan. I personally was a little frustrated going into it because we had, I was in a joint, my last unit actually, but joint communications support element out of Tampa. So we had a group of, actually I ended up having all air force, but you know, several, you know, we had all the branches represented mostly air force and army. I'd say 60, 70% were, were those branches, but we had all different branches and we went to different locations, but we trained for the year building up to it, knowing we were going to these different places and they, we had teams that we were with, and then all of a sudden, a lot of times, like things changed toward the end, and all of a sudden, you know, I was a senior guy, and they're like, okay, like we don't know who who's actually going to go with you. And so I was like, for you know, uh, you kind of rely on some of your training, but you're going into an unknown with, and I was actually supporting Army Rangers at, on that deployment, and I'm just like, like this isn't this isn't a time to not have our A team, you know? What I mean, like I was I was really kind of stressing a lot, um, just how was it going to work with not knowing the guys I was going to get. So like a, maybe two or three weeks before we left, I got these two younger guys that, that came on the deployment with me. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I was probably like 32, 33, somewhere in there. And like, these guys look like they shouldn't even, I was like, do your parents even know you're, you're, you're not at home right now? <laughs> Playing hooky from school. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't even look old enough to be in the military. And it's like, Oh my goodness. I was like, how many have you deployed before? Oh no, this is the first one. I'm like, and I wrote, so we were one short, one of the guys that was coming with us, his wife was delivering. So he didn't come out for about three or four weeks after that. So I was going with myself and two other people. So, you know, it was things like that. It just puts pressure on you. But, um, in the end of the day, what are you going to do? Right? Like that's, that's what, that's what the air force or that's what the military was. It's like, you're going to go into a situation. You have no idea. You're going to rely on your training. You're going to get as better as training as you can. But in the end of the day, when you're on the ground, you got to make it happen. But again, if you're, if I'm with those Rangers and you're, you know, we, what's being done 
you have to be on your A game. I mean, it's not one of those things you're kind of like, well, you know, hopefully it works. It has to work. So, so it, it always works. Well, it's good that it worked and you're here. So that proves that, you know, obviously some good things happen. Um, can you think of anything in the, you know, in the combat zone that stands out, something that you witnessed that stands out that just you've kept it in your mind? Is there anything that you can think of? Um, I guess that's a tough question, only in the sense that a lot of it, you know, is, is interesting. Like when I talk about like some of these things you think about after the fact. You know, I've been out, I got out in, in uh, over four years ago now. And I think, what, interestingly enough, as I kind of reflect, and, and I'm in a mastermind right now, so we talk a lot of weeks about a lot of things, you know, every week, but a lot, of, a lot of these things come up. And I don't know if it's good or bad, but like for me, when I got out, I was like, I didn't know for sure what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to do business, but I didn't know kind of what exactly it was. That's kind of how I got into podcasting. I met a guy named Chris Kremitzos who ran a business organization in Tampa called Tampa Bay Business Owners Organization. I met him and when I knew I was getting out, I was like, I want to network in the business community in Tampa. And I met him January 2014. That's how I got into podcasting. But I was like, okay, let me go out. And of course, I was still in while I was you know, involved in that organization and started volunteering and helping Chris. But when I was out, I was like, okay, I want to kind of, I don't want to say, I used to do this in the military. I was like, okay, I want to kind of, I don't, you know, of course, now you, you can see, but I grew my hair out. I was like, okay, I don't want people to look like, oh, here's a guy that looks like he's still in the military. I was like, I want to be known as, you know, a new chapter. So really, I kind of tried in, a, in an interesting way to a little bit distance myself. Like, you know, yeah, you, I did that in the past. But along with that, like, I didn't talk to people a lot about these stories, you know, on the outside. So, so I guess as I look back, a lot of those things, I mean, what we didn't do well, I don't think is focus and, and really appreciate what we did what we're involved in as i look back right so i did a lot of deployments and i was fortunate enough i guess like to be healthy i would try not to go to the doctor if i could help it because i didn't want to not be deployable but i was frustrated with certain people that would find reasons not to go and i would be like well that that's why we're in like if i'm not going to be able to go i don't even want to be in that's but that kind of goes back to that's how i was trained like my first unit we started deploying so I wasn't like one of those guys because early on when I, when I was in that unit, there was guys who were coming to that unit who had never deployed 17, 18, 19, 20 years in, and they were going on their first deployment. But I went on my first one in 19. So all those years I had been used to going. So I think that's what helped me. And I think those are, it's just kind of, uh, I'll always, the, the relationships I got, the people I knew, the experiences, that's what I take away. Um, because every, every experience was different. I mean, every deployment was different. Everyone built on its on the next one, you know. Definitely, when I went to Afghanistan, I had a lot of deployments underneath my belt, so that helped, you know, to be confident enough to not totally freak out, like to know how to manage that kind of a situation. Right. Um, so those skills that we learned, and and here's another thing that I, I see kind of after that I really didn't appreciate early on because it felt like we just changed things to change things, especially my first year or two when I went 19, 20 years old. And I'm like, oh, here we go again. We got a new commander, and he's changing everything. Here we got a new new NCIC, a new boss, a new, you know, non-commissioned officer in charge guy. It was like, why do we keep changing? Like what was wrong with how we were doing it? Like it, it never made sense to me at that point. But then now that I look back doing 20 years in the military environment and realizing how many people aren't comfortable with any kind of change whatsoever and the, uh, the ability to adapt. I mean, those are the things I'll uh, really take away as skills that I didn't realize I was getting that 
they're, they're invaluable. I mean, unfortunately, I think a lot of people don't have that. And so I think a lot of people that do very many years at all in the military environment, no matter what your job is, if you look at that skill alone, just being able to adapt and change like that. Well, you know, then there you go. So you have those 20 years of being able to adapt in multiple environments with multiple missions helped you in your transition and it's kind of funny you know you mentioned your hair growing out and i was like who is this highlander guy when i first saw you i go really he, he was in the military you know what branch was this and i'm thinking okay he's gonna break out this you know this this sword or something but anyhow so so you, you so you got out your transition what was that transition like and obviously you were able to adapt but when you were etsing did they what was the outbrief like did you get any kind of transition outbrief or were you kind of just thrown to the to the sharks? You know, interestingly enough, and I think a lot of us kind of come out and then want to help the transition because we feel it could be done better. I think what's what's hard is the fact, and I think this is talked about a lot even now, is if you're a senior guy or if you've been in for a little while, like how are you going to help someone transition and you've never transitioned yet? So I don't think there's a lot of help on a clear line of like, I believe you should be starting to transition the day you get in, but you're working with guys that I felt like a 20 year time period of a lot of senior people or people that would be your supervisors and mentors being like, it's scary out there. The grass isn't always green on the other side. What are you going to do when you get out? It was always more like a scary thing, but it didn't matter. Everybody's got that day that's going to happen. But the people that are your people that should be helping you a lot of times they, they say, make sure you're taking care of it. But they're really the, mostly the culture is like, you'll figure it out when that time comes. And I don't really know how to help you. And I don't care because we have a job to do with more with less. So it's all about what we're our mission. So we don't really care to help you get out, I guess. That's, you know, that's, that's an interesting point because think about that. Anybody out there listening is, you know, maybe some people that are still in charge of that transition process, Maybe it would behoove some of these branches to have people that have actually been out there. And I'm sure they do. There's some programs. But imagine if you were able to have a core of a cadre of people that had been out, have actually been out in the world and then could come back in as a veteran that had transitioned to be able to teach the, the transitioning veterans, the newer guys and gals. So that's a good point. So, so I know you're on some important missions now. You mentioned Bunker Labs, but. Tell us about the Military Podcast Network. Yeah, so to kind of go back a little bit of what you said, so when I was getting out, um, one thing that really had shaped my career from an early standpoint and then I kind of look at now, interestingly enough, has kind of been my personality over the years. I didn't know I was going to do 20 years, of course, but I saw early on that first unit I was in, the guys that were a few within a few years of their retirement eligibility time period would have on their computers at the time, this countdown would be like two years, four months, three days, 24 seconds. And I don't know if that was everywhere. Like, I don't, I, I can't speak for that. That's a common thing everywhere. It was uh, one thing that I said, if it, I said, is it that bad? I, I was, I was enjoying my time. And I was like, if I'm going to finish up, you know, if I, if I go, whatever point that is i'm not going to be one of those guys that's that's kind of already looking past what you know being in so at the end of my time as i was transitioning like i uh i was a comp planner a communications planner for the for jcs for joint communication support element and so um the ebola outbreak stuff had started to happen right i was in italy for a two-week 
uh, kind of training exercise with um, one of the units that was uh, part of AFRICOM or African Command. And when the, we were over there maybe two days, the Ebola stuff became a real mission that we were going to start planning for. So I actually was over there instead of two weeks for like two months. And when I came back, I really had no time. So it went pretty quickly, but I'd already known I was getting out. So I was already kind of doing steps without even knowing it that would be, that would have impact me now by going, okay, I know I'm getting out. Let me start to, tra- to get relationships in the business community. Cause that's what I want to do. I want to stay in Tampa. So I met Chris was the first person I met and that changed everything. They got uh, his wife started her podcast. So a month after I met them, they started a podcast meetup. She was coming back, kind of telling us the things she was learning within the first two, three months of when she started. They started PodFest Multimedia Expo out of Tampa in 2015. Started going to Podcast Movement, which had just started uh, a few months before that. So I started going to all these podcast conferences. And then I'm like, I, I knew what one was and I listened to them, but I didn't understand like you could use it because I was learning from them. But I didn't understand you could actually start one in a space or a niche. And really become an authority and a thing in a niche through using a podcast. And, you know, they, they kind of talked about how this was kind of traditional radio was kind of changing over to people want on-demand content. And um, so more and more people would be, you know, consuming podcasts. And then, you know, it was becoming easier to get podcasts. So that's kind of what got my attention on that. Um, and I started hearing some of the people that were speaking. And so I was like, okay, what kind of thing would I podcast about? What do I care about? I was like, okay, I, I like I want to do business all along. I want to really learn from people who have been in the military that now I'll do business to really kind of niche down. Not that, that, that a veteran business owner is different than a regular business owner, you know, whether they are or aren't. But I was like, okay, I want to have a show of some sort where I can actually interview people and, and things that are, that are helping have people start businesses or grow out businesses or scale businesses. So, but I also heard a guy who had, um, had a horse radio network, um, Glenn Hebert. And I was like, wow, like here's a couple other uh, network podcast network concepts. I didn't know, do, uh, I, I researched a little bit. I hadn't seen anything kind of in the military space. I'm like, what better thing than the military to have a podcast network? And I was like, okay, yeah, even though I care about all of it, you know, I was wanting to be able to really build something where I could make an impact on all these other areas that I care about, well, you, build kind of the platform to do that in and not directly do it, but indirectly, you know, through people that I could kind of facilitate um, to get that message out. So that's how that's how that started. And um, it's an ongoing thing. I mean, that to me is a not something you do in six months or a year. That's a, a 10, 20 year thing. So, yeah, we, well, you know, you, we talked about it earlier, you know, the storytelling and being able to use these technological um, methodologies to tell the story, you know, then this connectedness, you know, we, I know we've had that discussion before about, you know, the real leaders out there are the ones that are going to be able to take these technological tools and humanize them. And, and you're so right, James, you know, the podcast medium itself and the ability to be able to extract stories so that can, we can help each other and, and learn about each other is pretty darn phenomenal. You know, I read the other day, I, I don't know if the facts or figures are correct, but I heard there's like 600,000 podcast shows and it's growing, but the average podcaster only does on average six shows and then they disappear, which, you know, which to me is indicative of a great interest, but also the art of podcasting is not something you just throw together and do it. I mean, there's a, there's a science to it. I mean, I, I never considered, I never thought I'd do a podcast. You know, I, I never thought that I'd be, 
you know, able to take this medium medium and, you know, our mission to tell the veteran stories, to humanize the veterans and, and to quit all this negative stereotyping of people who have worn the uniform. What an amazing tool. And for you to have that foresight and have the IT knowledge to be able to put it together is pretty cool. And, I, you know, we need more leaders like you. You know, we mentioned leadership, but we need more leaders like you that can connect dots. And, you know, I think I've always thought, and it's not just to blow smoke, but that's one of the great strengths that you have. And it comes through in the way you do things, you know, with podcasting, with people in general. So, thank you. yeah, you've got some very – very good skill sets that the world needs. And, you know, I've been blessed to be able to meet you and to, to, to have the conversations that we have, that we've had. Yeah. But what's interesting, John, is like the chance I'd meet you if I didn't do that is probably pretty small. I mean, it could happen, but I was at the military influence conference in, in, in 2017 because of, I was like, if I've got a podcast network, I should probably go to this, 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 whatever that conference is. I didn't even know what it was going to be. I was like, okay, like that, I probably should be there. And that's when I met you, right? It was, it really See, and this, I thought that, I thought they were doing I thought they were doing movie casting for the Highlander Six. <laughs> we sat at the same table. We're kind of like just looking at each other, going, "You know, what are we doing here? Are we having fun yet?" And but it was it was really great. And you know, it's it's nice to have. I can tell you, James is very, 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 very big on networking, and you almost you travel the planet and especially North America to go to these gatherings and these workshops. And these conferences that that actually are all about connection. So, you know, you not only talk the talk, you actually do it, man. And that's what's really good about that. And 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 about you, you know, w- let me ask you this. We mentioned negative stereotyping. What would you want to tell as a, as a 20 year Air Force veteran and somebody that's been deployed to multiple areas around the world? What would you like to tell? the non-veteran population about veterans and especially combat veterans? Yeah, I guess it's, it is interesting because there is stereotypes and, you know, the military people that did time and whether they did combat or not, or the, the military is just a reflection of society. So the people that you you're with or that anyone listening to this, that isn't military, whoever they're with or whoever they hang out with, that's the people that are in the military. Like, it's just a diverse representation of the U- of the United States or of the world, right? Of people that are actually serving in the U.S. at military, they raise their right hand. They say, "I'll go pretty much follow orders and do whatever to defend the Constitution." We don't get to pick. Like I didn't go, "Hey, I want to go to Kuwait." Hey, can I go to Iraq? Hey, let's invade. You know, let's do this. Let's do that. So it was one of those things to, to where, to me, that's you know, you have good, you have great people. I hate to say it like that, but you have your, your people that, that didn't do well in the military space and they wouldn't have done well in any other space either. So, you know, there's, it's just, everyone has a different experience in the military. You can't say, Oh, this guy did this. So he must've done that. Like everyone, you really have to do a case by case, you know, what's their moral fiber, you know, what, what kind of military career do they have? I mean, Unfortunately, I mean, we've all heard stories that, that break your heart. Like I was uh, here in San Francisco a week ago. I went to uh, an event that I was invited to. There was a, a civilian lady who had a winery who had um, hired a veteran. And she like did some stuff she probably shouldn't have of, like opened up her financial book to her. Like she gave her a pretty significant position and trusted this person. And the person embezzled her over almost $2 million dollars. 
but she had said she had done time in Afghanistan and said she had done all these things. And then after the fact, she really had been kicked out of the military and never done any time in Afghanistan. So unfortunately there's people that say they did stuff that didn't do it. There's, you know, there's great people that like, it's hard for me to, to tell people a lot of times everything because I really, I don't know. It's, it's just, I don't, I don't even feel and I, worthy is not the right word, but it's, you know, you just forget what you did or, you know, I just did my job. I would do it all over again. So that's what I would tell people is like, we're, you know, there's so many great people and so many people on, you know, in, in the past that have been great people and done great things in the world that had done military time. So there's uh and, and there's a lot of people that have, you know, dealt with a lot of things and seen a lot of things that it is, you know, that there's some serious things that that's going to take them a long time to get past. So, I just think there's, it's too broad of a thing to say a veteran is this or a veteran is that. Veterans are a lot of things and can be a lot of things, and it's you know uh, just varies on their background, and experience, how many years they did, where they where they served, what their job was, what branch they were. It's a lot of variables. Let me ask you this. You know that's a great answer. L- let me. So let's just say there's a guy or a gal out there. You know, it could be a somebody that you know. Is, did the full tour, you know, made it a career. And then there's the, the, the might've done one or two stints. And let's just say they're out there and they're in their transition and they're, they're in a bad place. What would be your advice? Um, and it's a tough one, but is to ask for help. Um, because I think that kind of thing and with people, uh, and I don't want to try to compare it to a civilian like they're like, I have a, well, actually a couple of things. Like I found out there's somebody that I really respected that was, a. I did Air Force Honor Guard, or not Air Force Honor Guard, but Honor Guard in the Air Force in um, Colorado Springs. And one of the people that was the training instructors there, um, retired E-7, he had done time in the Army and then was in the Air Force and has kids that are in, I think, Army and Marines. He was struggling afterwards and was um, had a gun and was prepared to commit suicide and really struggled with the transition. It just blew my mind, right? Like, I had no, no idea you know, that, that would like of all the people, I would never thought he would be like that. And so you just can't, you never know, but it's, but, and then there's a friend of mine right now and a civilian guy that I, that I run with in Seattle area. He's, I mean, at least he's communicating, but he's been struggling for about a year and a half and and has taught, is kind of suicidal. So I think it's, the good thing is when people reach out and ask for help, like fortunately my friend that I'm talking about is is asking and is is talking about it. And I, you know, and some of the friends I have as well that can help him or trying to help him. But I think it's the same thing. There's so many people, you know, and, 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 and it's our other responsibility too. If you know somebody like that, like, Hey, somebody in some other state or country or place is struggling. Who do I know in that area that can help him in the veteran space? You know, cause there's resources, there's programs, there's people, there's, there's whatever help that they need. And I know it's, it's, it's hard for people to ask. It's hard for me to ask for help as well. A lot of times, but that's the part is like, you're not alone. I mean, there's, there's so many people that want to help you that, you know, that are, that are just one, you know, phone call away that would want to take you to coffee, you know, just, just don't be alone. I mean, isolation is definitely not the answer. That's a good, uh, good amount of advice, you know, and it's true. You're not alone and, and, and reach out, you know, sometimes, you know, people like us that have been in the military think that it's a weakness to ask for help. And it, it really is a great strength because it can turn your life around. You know, where do you see yourself in five years? And would you like to have a, a VP legacy? 
Um, it's interesting because I think about this, like I have so many years, uh, hopefully health wise left. And when I got out, I definitely wanted, you know, that was what kind of changes, even though I had other options, I could have gone back and been an electrician, you know, do, do things in it. I chose, I really want to be involved in something bigger. That's why the podcast network, like the things that it can impact and lives it can change that those are the type impact things I want to have. And so I just, I want to never settle, you know, I'm wearing, uh, I saw a guy named Jesse Itzler speak last year and I was impressed. Like he had sold a couple companies already in his past and his wife's a billionaire, Sarah Blakely is his wife owns Spanx, but yet he saw a Navy SEAL running this race, uh, David Goggins by himself. And he's like, I gotta, I gotta have what this guy has invite him to live with him and, 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 and David's like, only if you do everything I say for 30 days. And, and he did do that. And it, it was, and so I'm wearing a thing on my wrist. It says no zero days. Right. But that was where it's like, there's no finish line. Like a lot of, like I, I'm kind of counter to this mindset and maybe it's because of my age and, and what we've experienced and, and the world, but this whole, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, wait till I'm 60 or 70 to do all these things. I'm going to go where I want to live later when I'm done working. I just don't subscribe to that. To me, all these things I'm involved with, yeah, they're they're hard work maybe, but it's stuff that you can do while you're doing those other things. So, you know, I, I feel good about all the things I've already done, my military time. So I think there's some good legacy things already, um, but I'm not done. I mean, I want to, you know, keep being involved in those things. And that's why I like, you know, Chris Kermitzos was a um, kind of a mentor coming out and, and help. I, I believe I got better at connecting people. He's a good connector and you know, to go out and put be good people together and, and do collaborate and do more things. And, you know, our friendship, you know, those are, those are the things that I really value and, and want to continue to do because we can do more with, with everyone than, than by ourselves. So those are, I mean, I, you know, the things that you described, those to me are legacy things already. And that's, I just want to do more of that. Let me ask you this, James, you know, what, what does freedom mean to you? The free, I mean, it's interesting, the freedom to make these choices. I mean, and, and it's, it's hard because some days you look around you and it's like, you, I realize all the opportunities I've had. I mean, yeah. So I went in, I I chose to go in the military, but still the fact of, you know, I have a decent, you know, I get uh, some retirement pay, I get these different, um, get to go to school that's paid for. I get paid to go to school. You know, I get to be a part of a bunker labs where, you know, we, we have a co-working space with WeWork, a partnership. They have a partnership with WeWork for a veterinary residence program. You know, I have the opportunity to be the city leader because I did, you know, have time in the military and I can be around other veteran business owners and military spouse uh, business owners. I mean, those are things, you know, I'm just feel kind of blessed. Um, on, you know, I mean, I, I don't, it's like undeserving in a way. Like I feel, but I feel if you, you know, with, because I have these skills and background, like that's a lot, there's the responsibility aspect of that as well. So, well, you know what, what how do people get in touch with you, James, for more information about the things that you're doing? And I know that yeah, absolutely. That- I'm, I'm on, I'm on all the social. You can find me anywhere. I'm on uh, Facebook. Well, I haven't really used Snapchat in a while, but I'm on all of it. So Twitter, I don't use Twitter as much either. Uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> Facebook, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm an IT guy in the past. I used to have a, you know, electric leash crackberry the last five years in the military. So I pretty much live on my phone. So there's no way you can't get a hold of me. Email is, is probably the worst. Uh, you know, I, I read my email, but I'm, I do better on LinkedIn message, Facebook messenger, 
you know, we have Facebook page for the, the military podcast network. I got a veterans and business show. I'm always looking for guests on the veterans and business show. I do a, a Ragnar relay, um, podcast as well called Ragnar light podcast. We're getting ready to, to record some episodes in that. So, uh, you know, I look forward to, to helping or can, I love, I mean, my network is everybody else's network. So if I can connect you with anyone that, that I know, you know, don't hesitate to reach out. Well, thank you for that. You know, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm really excited to have had you here today. And, um, we're going to start a hashtag today called the veteran Highlander VP. We're, <laughs> we're starting that today. Uh, but seriously, uh, James, thanks for being here. Definitely appreciate you as a human being and as a fellow service member. Uh, I'm glad you made it back safe. You know, I, you, you have a really nice family and, uh, you've certainly made my life, uh, you've enhanced it because some of the people that you've introduced me to, uh, you know, I wouldn't know a lot of these people without you. And so thank you very much. Thank you, you, John. I mean, uh, what do you have a quote? Do you have, do you have a personal quote that you live by? Well, I guess for now I would say this. Well, a couple of things. I've got one from Podfest, so I, I'm wearing all these things on my wrist lately. But I've got uh, the Podfest one that says "Your voice matters," so that kind of goes along with podcasting. So everybody's got a story and voice that matters, and no zero days. So it's like every day, make if you're not getting moving yourself forward a little bit every single day, then you know you really kind of need to look in the mirror because uh, it's just. It's not going to all be done in a week or a month or a year, but it's just doing, you know, no zero day. So every day getting after it. So that's a, I would say that's a good one. And then, but John, I want to thank you for the opportunity. I respect you. I I, uh, enjoy getting to know you. I love what you're doing with this podcast and um, you know, you're, you're definitely in the trenches with me. So I love it. We're not giving up, man. We're on mission. Thank you for, for that. And uh, there you have it. VP well-known he's on the move. He's not goofing around. He's on the West coast. He's doing things with Bunker Labs. He's doing things to enhance people's lives and and telling stories and, and helping people wherever he can. Thank you very much. God bless. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.